If you have a copy of God's Word, and I pray that you do, please go ahead and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Lord willing, we are going to finish, um, uh, or no, we will not finish this section today. We will have uh, at least one more week in it, just because there is so much here that I, I don't want us to rush through it. But we will read 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 18 through 29. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 18 through 29. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 18 through 29. All right. So if you have found that place, and if you're physically able to do so, I do want to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's holy and written word. 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 18, hear the word of the Lord that's given to us this morning. Then went King David and in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have built, brought me this far? And this was yet a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, but you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? And what can David say more to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant, for your word's sake, and according to your own heart, have you done all these great things, to make your servant know them. Wherefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, neither is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation in the earth is like your people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself, and to make him a name, and to do for you great things, and terrible for your land before your people, which you redeemed to you from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. For you have confirmed to yourself your people, Israel, to be people to you forever, and you, Lord, are become their God. And now, O Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever, and do as you have said, and let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore has your servant found in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are that God, and your words be true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Therefore now let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. Let's pray. Our Father, this truly is your word that you have given to us, and we come and assemble to bow beneath your word. To you, God, we pray that you would be glorified as we submit to your teaching, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So growing up, um, there was a commercial, and you probably remember this commercial. There's nothing more Americana than this particular commercial, I don't think, at least 
growing up in the in the mid to late 80s and early 90s. I, I, I really do remember this. It was on every newspaper, television, ad, and everywhere that you could find it. And it was simply, and I bet you know who I'm talking about as soon as I say it, it's simply the phrase, they're great, right? Tony the Tiger, right? I remember, I remember very clearly as a kid hearing over and over how great they were. Uh, well, <laughs> are they really? I guess that's the question. To some people, they are great. To other people, they are not so great. I was never, I was never quite a fan of, I was a fan of Tony the Tiger. I was just never a fan of Frosted Flakes for whatever reason. But I will take Tony's word for it that they were indeed great. But we do use that word a lot, don't we? We use the word great. How was your day? Great. How are you doing? Great. How was the ball game? Great. Unless you're a Reds fan. How how, how was this? Great. How was that? Great. And we use that word a lot. But can we, I mean, we, and, and we even have, like, we even have names, right? We have the Grand Tetons, which I know doesn't have the name great in it, but it means great. We have all kinds of, of uh, places. We have the Great Lakes. We have the Great Plains, and we have all kinds of words, and, and, and that word great is so flexible, right? We use it such in a broad sense, don't we? And I wonder if that word really continues to have any true and real and lasting meaning for us. Because when we come and we approach the idea of who God is, we really must say that God truly is great, and he is great in a way that cannot be compared. When we compare anything to him, there is nothing that actually compares to him. He is a great in a way that is beyond your and my understanding. And despite the way we may often use that word, right? It's sort of like the word love. Love really has become meaningless in our day and age. We love everything, right, from phones and services all the way to our grandchildren or children or whoever but like that we use that word great in a lot of different senses but this morning I want to I pray help us to restore the meaning of what it means for God to be great for us to understand that God is truly great and this morning what I would like to do is I'd like to point you to three different certainties from our passage about God's greatness as I do that, though, let me make a clarification, something that I said last week that I got wrong, so please forgive me. I am human, and sometimes I get lost in my notes, um, and such was the case last week when I was talking about um, Jesus not necessarily being descended through Solomon. That, that was not the point of what I was trying to say. The point of what I was trying to say was that God, through, through David, blessed his son Nathan, David's son Nathan, and Solomon by giving him a double blessing. So forgive me for my misspeak last week. I, I, I was wrong in that. I just want to clarify that for you. But as we approach the text this morning, what I want you and I to see 
is the fact, first and foremost, there's a, there's a certainty that I think we have to start off with, and this is really where we'll stay today. We're not going to go to any other certainty, so we'll start with the first and stay with the first certainty that God gives us, and that is simply this. Beholding God's greatness leads us, leads you and I, to worship. It leads us to respond in worship for who God is and because of his greatness. And in that and to that point, what I want to do is I want to point you particularly to verses 20 through 24. And, and I want us to see what David says here that, that causes us to see his response to God's blessing and how he then responds in worship to the blessings of God. Listen, you and I, if we are going to truly, if we truly understand God's greatness, you and I, along with our, 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 uh, uh, our, our uh, uh, great King David here that is, that is in the text, you and I must understand that when you and I properly understand God's greatness, we are going to respond in worship because of God's greatness and his superiority in all things. And so we see David saying some different things about God and his superiority. First and foremost, we see David acknowledging that God is superior in his knowledge. Because in verse 20, listen to what David says here. And what can David say more to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. The idea here that David is presenting is that God is superior in his knowledge even of David and that God intimately knows the the heart and the mind and the motivations and the character of David himself. God knows, God sees, nothing is hidden from God. Christian, let me say to you this morning that nothing about us is hidden from the mind and the eyes of God. God knows us, and God is superior in his knowledge of us and in his knowledge of our character and our being. So when we are confronted with good or when we are confronted with by God and his word and our, uh, perhaps sin, we need to, instead of trying to hide it, just simply agree and expose it and repent of it. Because nothing can ultimately be hidden from God, because God is superior in his knowledge of us, of all things in life, in all areas of life. There's nothing that is hidden from God. All wisdom comes from God. All blessings come from God, and particularly his knowledge is exhaustive and extensive in every single way. But he's also, David will go on to say, David is responding in worship to God, not just because of his knowledge, but also because of his, God's work on David's behalf. And that's why you pick it up in verse 18. And it says, then went King David, or then went, yeah, then went King David in and sat before the Lord. And he said, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? David knows that apart from God's work in his life and on behalf of his people Israel, David would not be sitting where he's sitting today. He would not be sitting in the very presence of God, being able to pray, being able to worship, being able to honor God in all that he is and all the ways that he has. And so David praises God because David recognizes that everything he has been given has been given to him by God. Christian, let me ask you, do you know that? 
You say, well, sure, I know that. But let me ask you a question. Where are you investing your life? Are you investing it for the cause and the sake of Christ? Or are you investing it for the cause and the sake of yourself or something else? Are you investing it for the sake of the expansion of the gospel and for the glory of God in Christ? Or are you expending all of your energy on yourself and upon your own desires? It makes a massive difference for how we recognize God's work on our behalf. We have nothing, Paul tells us, that we have not been given. Everything you have in your life, everything I have in my life, has, including the strength to go to work, including the, the, the abilities and the capabilities we have to work at the professions that we have or to enjoy the blessings that we enjoy, whether it be tasting or whether it be enjoying a good meal, whether it be doing whatever the case may be, it comes from a God to us. There is nothing that we have that we have not been given. And so let me say this. David also goes on and talks about why he is responding in worship because he ultimately knows that God is the one who has sought him out and has revealed himself to him. And you say, well, now how do we know that? Well, look with me here. Um, as, as you walk through the text here of 2 Samuel chapter 7, let me ask you a question. Do you notice all those phrases, Lord, Lord God, God. Do you notice all of these? Right? David uses several of these phrases, and, and they all have, they, I don't want to get too, um, add too much here, but, but I think it is important that we understand. When you encounter the name Lord, capital L, all capital L O R D, you are coming face to face with God's covenant name. That is, the one who is the eternal, all-powerful, self-existent God who makes covenants. Right? This is the name that God gave Abraham. This is the name that God gave to his people. And this is the name that David consistently employs. He also employs another name. And this is anytime you come face-to-face with the name Lord with just a capital L and everything else is lowercase, it means Adonai which expresses God's divine dominion, right? It's often a substitute for God's covenant name, Yahweh. And, but when it's connected to Yahweh, as it is here, Lord God, right? Or, or um, yes, in, in verse 19 and several other places, capital L-O-R-D, and then God added to the end, a, a good, right translation of this would literally be, O sovereign Lord. O sovereign Lord. But he also goes on and he calls God by just, his, his, by just a, a, a name, God, Elohim, God, right? Which is commonly connected to what? To God's creating power. Doesn't mean he's a, only mean that he's a creator, but when it's given to God and about God, right? It is, it is understanding that it is usually connected with his ability and power to create. And then we have one other name that David uses and employs throughout this text of Scripture. And that is, at times, where you'll see Lord God. He is employing the name Yahweh or Jehovah and the name Sabaoth, which simply means this. He is the Lord of hosts or the Lord of heaven's armies. It emphasizes, David is emphasizing in this, the majesty, the power, and the authority of God to rule over his people and over the nations. 
And so when we come to this, David, we understand and see why is it that God, David is worshiping the God of heaven and employing all of these different names for God, right? Because, I mean, it just, in our English translations, don't always come through. But it's certainly there in the Hebrew text of Scripture, and I think, I think we do obviously get a, a glimpse of it, as I said, whether it's capital, all capital Lord, or all, all lowercase uh, O-R-D versus the capital L, or, or whatever the case may be. David is emphasizing God's absolute superiority in revealing himself. We would not know God had God not chosen to reveal himself to us. But he goes on and he talks about a couple other things, superior, worshiping God, not just because he's superior in his knowledge or his work or his revelation, but also in the fact that he can't be compared to anybody else. Look what David says in verse 22. Wherefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, neither is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Ears. David says there is nothing that's even comparable. All the gods of the nations, all of those so-called gods, they aren't even comparable to who you are. They cannot even begin to be compared to your greatness and your glory and your goodness and your power. Christian, I know that we live in a time where there seems to be so much to be despairing over, but do not lose sight of the reality that our God is still in the heavens, and our God is still ruling, and our God is still reigning, and our God laughs at the nations who seek to thwart and who cast off his word. God is incomparable. But he goes on and he says God is also superior in his being. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, look with me back here in verse 22. Look, look what he says again here. He says, wherefore you are great, O Lord God, right? For there is, none, there is none like you, neither is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. In other words, because you are great, because you are incomparable, there is no one, God, who ultimately can fully comprehend your absolute being of who you are. You have only revealed to us what we can possibly understand with our, with our small minds, right, with our human brains. But in the end of the day, there is no way for us to ever fully comprehend you at the core of your being. And David is simply responding or is, is relaying what God told Moses when Moses asked, show me your glory, and God told Moses, Moses, you cannot see my face and live. And God is saying, or David is here saying, God, you are so great. You are so great in your being. You are so great in your, uh, in your incomprehensibility and in your incomparability that we who are here on earth can barely begin to grasp what you're like. But whatever it is that we understand, that you give us to understand about yourself, David is saying, you cannot be compared. You cannot be compared to anything or anyone. And we are grateful for your revelation of who you have revealed yourself to be. But then David goes on and he says, not only is he responding in worship because of God's superiority, but he goes on and he says that he is responding in worship, right? He is responding in worship because God is gracious. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, look with me here in verse 23. Look with me in the first part of verse 23, and then we'll go down and jump down to verse 24 in the first part, okay? 
Verse 23, it says, And what one nation in the earth is like your people? Right? And then jump down to 24. For you have confirmed to yourself your people Israel to be a people to you forever. David knows and understands that Israel has been blessed by God, not because they are deserving, but because God is gracious. Christian, we cannot lose sight of this either. Because God in his grace gives the people of Israel their identity by calling them his people. And the same is true for us who are in Christ. God has given you your identity in Christ. He has made you his son or his daughter through faith in, by his grace through faith alone in Christ alone. You have your identity not because you deserve it, not because you're worthy of it, but because God is gracious. And God is gracious to give his people, always has been gracious to give his people our identities. He calls us his people. But he's also gracious because in saying this, if you go on down to verse 23, go on through verse 23, it says, Whom God went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name. And to do for you great things and terrible for your land before your people, which you redeemed to, your, to, to you from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. God has redeemed for himself, not only, not only in, in identifying them with himself, but purchasing them as his people through the blood, through the blood of King Jesus that was given on the cross for us, that came, that, that this God-man came, lived perfectly among us, lived sinlessly, died in an unrighteous way for sinners so that in resurrecting the father showed his approval by raising his son from the dead and now gives grace to all who will repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's in this grace that God shows favor to his people it's not because you deserved it or I deserved it it's not because we deserved it matter of fact God would go on later in the prophets and he would say listen nothing that I've done I've done because of you, I did for me. And that's what David recognizes here. Long before God gets to Ezekiel and his point to Ezekiel in later on in the prophets, here David is saying, listen, Israel, we, listen, we have our identity from God and have been bought by him, have been favored and are favored of him, not because we are anything, but notice what David says here in verse 23. And to make him God, that is God, a name. God is glorified among his people. You say, well, is there a New Testament equivalent to that? Well, first of all, not that you need a New Testament equivalent, but yes, there is. Yes, there is. Paul is very clear in the book of Ephesians and in Colossians that we are God's people through Christ. And that through Christ, through faith alone, in Christ alone, God continues to purchase a peculiar people for himself. And he continues to show favor to his people through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's only through God's gracious work that any of this is possible. You say, well now, how do you see that? Well, remember verse 23 and 24. Look what he says. I mean, this is very clear. Before your people, which you redeemed to you from Egypt, from the nations and their gods, for you have confirmed to yourself your people Israel to be a people to you forever, and you, Lord, 
are become their God. For what purpose? He has given himself a heritage for God's own glory. And he has given himself a name by redeeming people who were undeserving and unworthy of his grace. Now, we would say to ourselves, well, that, that, seems, a little, that seems a little harsh. But if you flip over to 1 Corinthians, right? If you, go, if you run on over to 1 Corinthians, Paul makes a very similar point here in 1 Corinthians, doesn't he? Listen to what he says here in 1 Corinthians, picking it up in verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. It says, God is faithful, by whom you were called to the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions or divisions among you or quarrels. Now this I say, that every one of you says, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I have baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us which are being saved, which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of the preaching to save them. And believe. I could go on, but I'm going to stop there. But the same is true for us today, Christian. Like we are Christians today because of only because of Christ. There's no other way to say that. God is gracious, and He is gracious to His children. He is gracious in His continued behavior toward us who are in Christ. There never comes a time where we fail Him enough where God says, Nope, you're no longer my child. That doesn't happen. God's gracious is on, in his favor is ongoing to his children, not because of us, but because of him and because of who he is. But David goes on and he'll say that God is worthy of our worship because of his magnificence, because of his glory. And, and that's why David says, so let your name be magnified or glorified forever, right? In verse 26 of Second uh, Samuel, he says in verse 26, And you let, let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of your servant David be established before you. So David worships, and he worships because he recognizes that God is magnificent. And in this, he asserts the greatness of who God is. He asserts God's greatness. And he goes on and asserts not just God is great, but that God's works are great. That God's works are beyond comparison. And the same phrase, by the way, is used and employed six different times throughout the Old Testament in Hebrew. The same phrase is employed six different times. The ma- asking God's name to be magnified in Psalm 35, 27. In Psalm 40, 16. 
in Psalm 70, verse 4, in Psalm 104, verse 1, in Micah 5, 4, and in Malachi 1, 5. This is a continued theme. And it's a theme that is picked up by the Lord Jesus and by the apostles in the New Testament. Paul ultimately making this clear in Ephesians chapter 1, that it is God who has done this. It is God who has redeemed us. It is God who has purchased us. It is God who has, who has sought us out and has bought us for his own glory. It is God who does this. As a matter of fact, let me read you what Paul says here in Ephesians in chapter 1. Listen to what he says here in verse, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. And I could go on, but I'll stop there. Brothers and sisters, let me, let me make this very clear to us. God's name continues to be magnified through us who are in Christ Jesus. This is what he has called us to. This is what he desires of us. This is what he commands us to. And David knew this. David saw this. David, David longed for this to be the reality, to get the continued reality of him and his reign and his household. Is that the desire of our hearts? And then lastly, David responds in worship because God ultimately reveals himself to be faithful. In verse 26 and 27, David would go on to say, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And he would go on and he'd talk about that, let the house of your servant David be established before you. And then just a, just a few seconds later, therefore your servant has found in his heart to pray this prayer to you. When David praises God, he also praises him for his faithfulness throughout this, this passage. He's calling attention to God's perfect loyalty and consistency in his activity and his character and his word to David and to Israel and to the people of God. Why? Because God's faithfulness is an integral part of who he is. Because God is who he is, God is faithful. God is not capricious. That is, he doesn't, he doesn't have mood swings. God doesn't go from one extreme to the next. God doesn't go from, from, from being very loving and gracious to all of a sudden God being very mad at us. But God's faithfulness is an integral part of who God is. To what end, though, Right? Well, let me say this. To what end? Well, to the end that God's faithfulness is constant. And it is constant to us. You say, well, there are times, Pastor, where I don't feel like my, my, my prayers are getting to the roof. And God doesn't hear me. God doesn't seem to care about anything that I'm saying or anything I'm praying. To you, I would say to you, to us... Find comfort in the fact that God has not stopped being faithful to you because you feel like your prayers aren't going any higher than the ceiling. Do not be, do not let Satan or yourself tempt you and to discouragement and to despair because you don't feel something. 
Know that God is trustworthy. Know that God is faithful. Know that God is not fickle like we are with our feelings going back and forth. One moment we're hot, one moment we're cold, one moment we just don't know what we're doing, but we're trying to do it. But God is not like that. God is trustworthy and faithful. His words are true. And Christian, let me remind you, as David was reminded by God, God's promises are true. And it's because of who God is that God is trustworthy. It is God and his graciousness and favor and love and holiness that leads us to trust him that he will do what is good always. God does not change and therefore we can trust him. You say, but my situations change. Yes, they do. But God does not. And so we can trust him in the midst of change and a changing world. In that powerhouse book by Robert Wells called Is a Blue Whale the Biggest Thing There Is? It's a children's book. He asks the question, is the blue whale the biggest thing on earth? And he goes on and he talks about how blue whales are the largest animal on earth, but certainly not the largest thing. And he talks about how the blue whale pales in comparison to a mountain, to Mount, to Mount Everest. And he talks about how you could fit 100 blue whales in a large jar. You could put millions of whale jars inside of a hollowed out Mount Everest. He goes on and talks about that, the, that, that Mount Everest, though, is nowhere near as big as Earth. And Earth is nowhere near as big as the sun. And that the sun is nowhere near as big as the red supergiant called Antares. And that Antares is not anywhere near as big as the Milky Way. And the Milky Way is not anywhere near as big as the, as the universe. Because there are billions of other galaxies in the universe. And yet, filled with billions of galaxies, the universe is com- almost completely empty. To this, I simply remind us that even with the universe and its vastness, God is greater. God, who with the word of the, pow- of the power of his word spoke, and boom, it came into existence. God is great and greatly to be praised. So you say to me, well, Pastor, how, how should we apply all this, right? Well, let me give you a couple different ways that I hope that will help in, in this idea of application. First, David is astonished by God's grace. Let me ask you just an honest gut-level question. When was the last time you were astonished at God's grace? When was the last time that you saw the vastness of God's grace and sat and stood in awe of God? Let me add another way. Jesus is truly the one who is meek and lowly, who as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, left his throne, came to earth, clothed himself in human flesh. As both God and man, he lived a perfect and sinless life, ultimately laying his life down upon the cross 
for sinners. And the Father showed his pleasure and his approval in the sacrifice of his Son for sinners so that the Father rose Jesus, raised Jesus three days later from the grave. And now King Jesus sits at the Father's right hand of power. And this same Jesus is our King. He is our Savior. He is our King. He is our Lord. This Jesus is the one that David longed for to look, to see, and to know. And this Jesus is the one we know and we worship now. In Jesus, I'd add another way. Jesus, in Jesus, the Lord, the Father, has chosen to bless his people and all who come to repentance and faith in Christ. All of us who will trust in the finished work of Christ upon the cross when we were in open rebellion against God, excluded from God's promises, God provided his mercy sovereignly and he gave it to us and provided it to us in Christ. And now through covenant, we are made one in Christ. Let me add another way. David, like David, who praised God for his promised future, the Lord has allowed us to see that future of David. We who are in Christ also see our future, that it is a magnificent future filled with goodness and the faithfulness and the mercy and the sovereign rule of God over the nations. And only God who is sovereign over all things can speak of a future with certainty. Because God is sovereign, he can speak of our future with certainty. And the Lord acted for the sake of his own glory and for our good in granting us faith in Christ so that we who are in Christ, there would be with, induced within us humility and genuine praise because there is nothing and there is no one like unto the Lord our God. And let me close by simply adding this last application. Because of who God is, we need to see that this strongly refutes any sort of idea that God's worship can be mixed and mingled with any other gods. You say, well, we would never do that. Well, no, but it is, it is in vogue, right? Throughout, since 2001, it seems that we have continued to continue to have interfaith worship services promoted. But brothers and sisters, all the gods of the nations are false. All the gods of the nations are wrong. All the gods of the nations are not to be worshipped. And certainly not to be worshipped on the level in which our God is worshipped. It undoes any idea that all religions worship the same God and are all essentially the same. That, that's a big deal, right? Like, well, you know, more um, Muslims and Mormons and Ju uh, Jewish people and Christians, they all worship the same God. We do not worship the same God. Mormons worship the God, their God who came from the planet Kolov, who used to be like us, and now he became a God, right? The Muslims worship, worship the God who, he, who was fashioned after the idea of Muhammad. And the Jewish people have rejected the revelation of Jesus, the Messiah. And so because of that, we do not all worship the same God. Our religion, along with other religions, are not all simply the same. You say, well, some people would say, well, that's, that's, that's mean. No, it's true. Brothers and sisters, let us seek to honor the Lord our God and make him known 
in all and every way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the truth that we've heard this morning. We thank you for the goodness of the things that your word has shown us this morning. Help us to be in awe of who you are. Help us to stand in awe, to sit in awe, to be in awe of your greatness. Help us, O oh God, we pray. Now as we sing, may we respond to your grace. May we respond to your mercy. And may Christ be magnified in us and through us. We ask that you would draw us to yourself, that Christ may be glorified. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all take our hymn books and turn to number 129. Let's sing the first two verses. Let's all stand while we sing. 129. at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden on my heart rolled away it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day was it for crimes that I had done he groaned upon the tree Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. The cross at the cross where I first saw the light, and the burden on my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Praise God for him, all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.